0: Suppose you went to Italy, fell in love, married an Italian, and settled in a small town right next door to the in-laws. Lisa Anderson did just that, and she joins us today on Travel with Rick Steves to tell us what it's like raising a cross-cultural family.
1: We have a very relaxed, easygoing life. I walk the kids to school down the block. I have a butcher's, three bakers, and three little supermarkets within walking distance of my house, and the best gelato.
0: And while many small towns are losing population, in Sicily, some villages are finding a new lease on life.
1: In the last few
2: years, tourism has developed a lot. You know, you get these poor towns that actually are incredible to visit because they've kind of been trapped in time. They're medieval village hill towns.
3: You know, Catania actually has this great location that is nearby the tallest active volcano in Europe, but is on the water at the same time. Tour guides Amanda Scatesi and Alfio De Moro tell
0: us about the pleasures of Sicily It's just ahead on Travel with Rick Steves. How different would your family be if you lived in a small town in Italy? Hi, I'm Rick Steves. We'll hear how one American adopted her husband's culture and is raising a family in Italy in just a moment. And later in the hour, two tour guides point out the attractions of Sicily, where strong Italian mamas, big weddings, and only the freshest cannoli are classic parts of a vibrant scene. Our phone number is 877-333-RICK. And you can email us anytime at radio at ricksteves.com. Imagine traveling to a faraway country, and you meet somebody, and you fall in love, and all of a sudden you find yourself married, raising kids on the other side of the planet. We're joined by Lisa Anderson, who was teaching English uh, in Italy in 1997, met Mauro in 97, a couple years later married. Now two children. Lisa, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Tell us about your home in Italy. Where do you live? What's I, it like?
1: I live in a really small town, about an hour south of Turin. Nobody knows it. It's barely on the map. It's between Cuneo and Mondovì, and it's got a population of about three thousand people. And most of them like to speak Piemontese more than Italian. Whoa! So going into that culture was uh, quite different. So this
0: is the the region of Piedmont, this which is has the its own of Piedmont. pride. Then. Foot of and, the mountains. And you fell in love with Mauro, and you're living in his hometown.
1: In his hometown, and we ended up living in his parents' house. Whoa. Which was a real shocker for me.
0: And you're, you've kept your name, so you're Lisa Absolutely. Anderson. What's Mauro's family name? Pezzino. Pezzino. Is that no big deal in Italy for a, a wife to keep her name?
1: A woman always keeps her name in Italy. Was oh, that right? Your name is your name. You would never change to your ah, husband's name. interesting. Even on tombstones, they'll have who you're the widow of. So that they know who you were married to.
0: So they put it together. Mm -hmm. And the children have the father's name. And
1: the children take the father's name.
0: Okay. Now you're in close quarters with the in-laws.
1: I was. They have both passed away, but I lived for many years next to them.
0: What is the sort of clichetic view of in law like mother-in-laws and so on in in Italy? Invasive. Invasive. That you're
1: never good enough.
0: Never good enough. So she wants you, and the men are famous as uh, Mamone, right? Absolutely.
1: Mamone, Mama's Boys. But really in Italian, it's Mama's Kids now because Italian children are really, really spoiled. It doesn't matter if they're boys or girls. They're just all doted on from the time they're born until they leave the house, which they often never do. They do what we ended up doing and living next door to the parents.
0: I've heard about this. Italian boys, they stay at home until 20s into their 30s. Absolutely. They have a tough time cutting the umbilicone.
1: The umbilical cord, yeah. You know... Mauer didn't leave home ever, and his parents, his dad was a mason, and he built a house with two living units. And when he had grown up, he actually shared a room with his sister until he was 18 years old and she got married. She's five years older than he was. And then he finally had his own bedroom. So a boy and a girl sharing a room, because that's just what it was, because grandma lived with them. And then about that same time... Pino started to build this house. So he was a mason. and He had bought land years before. Uh, Mauro's mom used it to farm strawberries for years and years until they could get the plan together to build the house. Mauro's sister could have come to live in this house with two. It's two apartments, one house with a big garden around it. And that in itself is unusual because most people live in apartments, right? Yeah. Instead, her husband, of course, didn't want to move far away from his parents, and they had an apartment right next door to her in-laws, that was offered by them for them to live in. So
0: the younger generation generally wants to stay close to their parents. Oh, yeah. And when you get married, who wins the tug-of-war?
1: I would say it it really is a crapshoot. Really? Often the woman, but not always. Hmm. So Nadia, my sister-in-law, her husband didn't want to move out of town. He liked living in the city. It was a city of about 65,000 people called Cuneo. Boy, I have to say, if I had to choose between mother-in-laws, mine was... You were lucky. The winner, hands down.
0: <laughs> but now, mother in law is across the board invasive in Italy. Yeah. Is that because be. they love you or because they don't want to lose their, their child?
1: I think both, honestly. Yeah. Uh, and I know my mother in law loved me. She would never have told me that. But you I know never she loves me. That. No, but she told people around her <laughs> my bus driver has an aunt in the town that I live in. And she knew my mother in law. And apparently, my mother in law told her one day that she really liked me. So and she it was never very funny to you. have it. No, she never told me.
0: What did you learn from your mother-in-law?
1: Oh, I learned all sorts of things. Ah, uh, I learned how to breastfeed, actually, which was pretty funny. I learned. <laughs> why, why was it funny? Just because it was really important to her. After our first son was born, my mom came for the birth, but my mother-in-law really wanted to be in the hospital the next day with me. And
0: oh, she wanted you to get things off on the right footing. As exactly. a mom, and so she had she, the right way to do it.
1: Yeah. And she was good at it. My mother was uh, so gracious she enough to just... jockeyed herself in there
0: before yeah. your your actual mother.
1: Well, and my mother was gracious and really just stepped yeah, down. Yeah. And that's a cultural difference because I think she understood how important it was to Maria.
0: You managed to satisfy your mother-in-law in that respect. Yep. You, what, what sort of communication challenges did you have with you know, when just we first, relating to older generation in Italy and invasive mother-in-law and so on?
1: At first, we were living very close to them because, like I said, we had these two living units but we didn't have anything in our apartment we had no kitchen no nothing so we had to eat every day with my mother-in-law I spoke a bit of Italian at the time but I wasn't fluent like I am today and my in-laws would rather have spoken Piemontese dialect than even Italian and so a lot of times they would be having conversations that would just go over my head, because Piemontese, I always say, sounds like a drunk Frenchman talking. It's more closely related to the French language than it is huh. to the Italian language.
0: A lot of travelers don't appreciate all the strong, the real serious dialects within a single country it's like amazing. in Italy. Mm-hmm. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Lisa Anderson, and Lisa's from the United States, but for the last 14 years, she's been living in Italy, where she's fallen in love, married, has two children, and uh, raising a family right now. You fell in love with an Italian guy while you were traveling in Italy or working or teaching in Italy. Uh, What advice do you have for American women sightseeing in Italy with the pitfalls of very romantic Mm -hmm. Italian men?
1: A friend of mine just told me they did a poll in uh, Europe about who were the best lovers in uh, Europe. And the answer was Italians for the first two weeks.
0: Oh, that's a good answer. <laughs> that's a good answer, well they've got that funny thing about if you f- don't fall in love with a gondolier in Venice, anybody who does has hams over their eyes right
1: exactly well, how do you say that in italian <laughs>
0: so in other words, don't be blind so they're charm. blinded no they're great great romantic guys for two weeks exactly well you're twelve years into it. he must have been a, a lucky about that. We have an email from Heather in Connecticut, and she says, we're thinking of moving abroad with our children. What's the best way to introduce a new language to them? How much familiarity should they have before moving? This is interesting because I know that you are committed to raising your kids with two languages. Absolutely. Why and how?
1: It is easy for children to learn uh, a second, third, or even fourth language, especially depending on the age.
0: It doesn't confuse them?
1: No. They say oftentimes children that are learning two languages might begin to speak A little bit later, although that wasn't the case with us, I think it really depends on the child. Filippo, my oldest, started speaking at 15 months, and once he started, I couldn't shut him up. And I remember, because he spoke more Italian than English, I had always spoken to him in English, and he came to the States. We came for about a six-week period, and for the first week, he kept speaking to me and expecting me to translate for him, and I literally told him, I mean, this is a 15-month-year-old child (laughs) who, you know, he has limited vocabulary, obviously. But I said, Filippo, I'm not going to translate for you anymore. You speak English. Go. And seriously, from that point on, he never stopped.
0: From 15 months on. From
1: 15 months on. And now, last year, I went to a parent-teacher conference, and his English teacher said, I was going to take private English lessons, but then I realized I just need to talk to Filippo more.
0: (laughs) So, And and Filippo's nine now. He's nine. So he can teach his English teacher. Exactly. He was eight at the time, so it was pretty amazing. So what, what are the parameters or sort of the rules you set in your family? for uh, raising bilingual children. Does Mauro speak one language with them? Uh, Do you watch TV in English rather than Italian? Or or what are your tricks?
1: Uh, Mauro always speaks Italian with the children, or rarely speaks English, depending on where we are. I always speak English with the children, unless we're with somebody and we Uh need to be polite. And together, Mauro and I honestly speak just a real mix of, it's probably... 80% 80% Italian in our house and 20% English uh-huh. if we're speaking to each other. Uh-huh. And the kids just pick it up and it's amazing how how savvy they are.
0: And now you've got a three and a half year old and a nine year old. How do they communicate?
1: They usually speak in Italian with each other.
0: Is that curious but to you? Or? It
1: is. But then when they're in America, when they come to visit grandparents and whatnot, they'll start speaking in English to each other. Wow. And then there are certain words, but they always watch if they want to watch cartoons or a movie, they always want to watch in English. And uh, not long ago, Emanuele was, uh, I think I was on tour. Mauro was sitting down and was turning on cartoons for Emanuele, and it came on in Italian because we have a satellite that allows us to switch the language. And Emanuele said, Non capisco, non capisco, I don't understand, I don't understand. And Mauro, or oh, no, non, non sento, I, don't, I can't hear it. And Mauro's like, What? What? And he finally understood that he wanted it switched to English.
0: Yeah, well, some I suppose some action hero just is supposed to speak English. It's this, this American sort of cartoon, and you
1: can't watch Scooby Doo with Italian.
0: <laughs> I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about raising your kids speaking two languages uh, with Lisa Anderson, who's doing just that with her two um, children in Italy. Any regrets from a parenting point of view about having children outside of the United States, raising kids in Italy? What are the pros and the cons?
1: No, I don't have any regrets. I think it's amazing for them to be. Raised in another culture, uh, if I didn't have the ability to visit the states as much as I do, I think I would feel very lost in that they were missing out on a big part of my culture. Right. But Maurer is great because he, he says, you know, your parents are still there, your culture is there, and when you have the chance, you should absolutely go home. And so I try to spend, you know, at least one month out of the year coming back to the states and so that they also have an idea of what our culture here is like because it is quite different. Well, they're quite
0: different. Different approach to time and a different approach to community and a different approach to materialism. Absolutely. And then I know parents, you know, you take two parents, they're two different religions or they're two different political cultures or whatever, and there's some tension there. Now, you as an American, your husband as Italian, what sort of um, struggles do you have when it comes to selfishly, lovingly raising your kids with your vision? How do you and Mauro deal with that? Or are there issues?
1: Uh, we haven't had any major issues. Yet, we have some different ideas about disciplining our children.
0: How do Italians discipline their children? They
1: don't very much. Ah. Italian kids are very spoiled. And my husband wasn't really a normal Italian by that sense, and he was willing to discipline. When my mother-in-law was around, it was really funny because uh, she used to get so upset with me. I could see if I was disciplining my children, like she would be lenient, grandparent and whatnot. But I later found out from my sister-in-law and from Mauro when he started to talk about it that she was really strict. When they were growing up, and so it was very strange. You know, there was a double standard there, or a different standard that applied with grandchildren. Of and course. she used to make me feel so guilty. You put him in in uh, a timeout. What he couldn't have been doing anything that bad. Why would <laughs> he deserve out. to have done that?
0: I'm Rick Steves. I'm wishing I was raised in Italy when it comes to punishment. And I'm talking with Lisa Anderson about parenting uh, in a bicultural, bilingual way. More in a moment with Lisa Anderson on raising a family in Italy. And then we head south for a guided tour of Sicily. 877 333 7425. That's our phone number. It's travel with Rick Steves. We're learning what life's like living in Italy for American-born Lisa Anderson. She works as a guide and lives in a small town in the Piedmont region where she and her husband are raising their two boys. Her in-laws have passed away since Lisa married Mauro, but as we're hearing, traditions run deep, even when you're breaking the mold with a cross-cultural family. And in just a bit, two guides who specialize in Sicily will show us how the island's history so distinct from the rest of Italy only adds to its charisma. What, what is it now that you're into Italy about the tempo of life? In a small town, it's it must be a lot slower than what you're accustomed to in
1: America. Yeah, we have a very, you know, relaxed, easygoing life. Uh, I can get everything I need in my life by walking. You right. know, I walk the kids across the street to school, down the block. Uh, I have a butcher's. I have a baker's. Actually, I have... Three butchers, three bakers, and three little supermarkets within walking distance of my house, all within about 15 minutes of each other, and the best gelato.
0: Now, that takes more time than just going to the supermarket. Is it worth the time?
1: Actually, it takes less time. Really? Well, it takes more time in the sense that I probably wouldn't go for a big run, because when I go into town, I'll walk or take my bike. So I might go daily, and I talk to people.
0: Are you accepted after 10 years in a a small town?
1: Yeah. you know the the American woman. Absolutely.
0: The American woman who who took away Maro.
1: Exactly. Wow. I married Pezino Chot, the that's short Pezino, but now I have my own Pezino Chot. That's the dialect. Oh, that's for, right. well, That's what they call my children. But uh, no, I am now, but because my mother-in-law really Pesino, pre- what's represented, Pezino is my husband's name. Oh, okay. His so last he's name. A little Pezino. Yeah. yeah, little Pezinos. Uh, my mother-in-law took me into town when I first moved in, and she presented me to the people that she knew. And she had been there for years because she married uh, Pino, who had gone to Benete when he was eight years old.
0: So, Lisa, you're the uh, classic sort of young family now. You got your uh, wonderful Italian husband, and you got uh, two little boys, nine and three and a half. What do you do when you go on a weekend holiday? Do you pack up the tent and go camping uh, to Switzerland, or you live like... How far from... You live near Torino, basically. I live
1: near Torino. I say on a dotted line between Milan and Nice, France. Uh-huh. I live two-thirds of the way towards Nice.
0: Okay, so you're close to a lot of great stuff on the beach, up in the mountains, and so on.
1: Absolutely. What are the
0: highlights from a family vacation point of view in that part of Italy?
1: Last year, we went to Val d'Aosta, the mm. day after Easter, which was really, really fun.
0: Now, that's just south of Chamonix, or just over the Mount Blanc from Chamonix. Exactly, right? and
1: it's yeah. on the border between France and Italy, and then you have the St. Bernardo Pass that goes over to Switzerland mm. on the northern end of Val d'Aosta. That's where the Olympic Games right. were held in Italy, the skiing events, and it's a beautiful area. It's so different because, I, you know, I'd always traveled in the Dolomites, and the Dolomites are very Germanic feeling. Everything is right. very tidy yeah. but and This is more precise. Frenchy, isn't it? This is French-Italian, very relaxed. Yeah. It's not always tidy.
0: St. Bernard's. St. Bernard's, <laughs> yes. That sort of thing. What is the Italian middle-class family way to camp? Do, do people camp like they do in the United a States? A lot
1: of people. I know a lot of people who camp. I couldn't pay my husband to camp. So I you don't go to think. hotels then? Huh? We go to a hotel. You know, just a nice clean hotel. It doesn't have to be fancy.
0: North of uh, Milan, there's all these different lakes. What's the best lake from a family vacation point of view?
1: You know what? I like them all. Uh, but I like... I like Lake Como, Lake Como I guess, yeah. and that's because we as a family like to go walking a lot. We like to go on hikes up in the hills, and you can walk out of Como for hours and hours, and it's absolutely beautiful.
0: Let's talk about a few things just quickly about parenting in Italy. How do people handle daycare? Is it a two-income family, one-income family generally?
1: It's, this is uh, something that's switching in Italy right now. A lot of women are starting to work. You really need two incomes in Italy. Incomes are relatively low. The average income in Italy is 1,200 euro a month, which is not a lot a of money. About $1,500 a month.
0: Wow. So that's like about $18,000 a year. Yep. Not much. So it takes two incomes to make it in Italy these days. It does. That means more daycare.
1: That means more daycare, and we have uh, the, the state-funded daycare. For those who have access to it, can start at six months. However, there are not enough of those to go around, so we have what we call baby parking. Baby parking. Baby parking. It's private daycare. Uh, it's relatively inexpensive, though, when I talk to my friends here in the U.S., Uh, They're very jealous of what we have.
0: So it's cheap and reasonable quality? Yeah. you feel comfortable leaving your kid there?
1: Absolutely. The one in my town was fabulous. How about
0: school choices? Does everybody just go to the neighborhood school, or is there a lot of jockeying and trying to get your kids into a certain school?
1: Where I live, there's not a lot of jockeying. And our children start what we call scuola materna at the age of three. And it's basically state-subsidized daycare. It's a great school. You they go three. Wow. Three, three, four, and five, and then they start first grade, elementary school.
0: Now, you're you're the mother of two boys, uh, mm-hmm. but a lot of mothers who have uh, girls are very concerned about the pressure by the media to have their girls become supermodels and so on. Is that the same in Italy? Because I know Italy has a lot of trashy TV well, it that is, turns and, girls into boy mean, toys.
1: Our Prime Minister's TV media set yeah. is the icon. So I mean, they have eating, all the showgirls So eating disorders on.
0: that go with that and so on is a concern in Italy? I them?
1: think... There are enough eating disorders that are going on, and the girls certainly are encouraged to be pretty. I mean, when you have your prime right. minister going out with showgirls. So and that's sort of an ethic in Italy. Becoming on, in- yeah. getting on Internet Afternoon News so for that reason. So you got a
0: cute babe at your side if uh, you're a big shot in Italy. Yeah. What about birds and bees? Who gives the talk?
1: There's supposed to be sex education in the school. Right. I will certainly talk to my children about that when the time comes.
0: There domestic violence in Italy? It's such a macho, yeah world. there is, and is that, that's is that something a, is that, is that they've a been big focusing secret or on is it coming out more no it's
1: coming out more and more actually one of the things that they've been trying to take attention away from the the whole idea of showgirls and having these beautiful women all around and they're trying to put the focus on domestic violence which is the reality
0: yeah the reality of people watching those TV shows how's divorce in Italy is it uh, it's a Catholic country? Does that relate to the divorce laws and community property and, and what are
1: the standards It there? used to The divorce rate used to be really low in Italy. It's now up to 50%, which I think is about on par with America. Mm -hmm. Uh, It takes three years of legal separation before you can have a divorce.
0: And then is it community property in Italy?
1: You know, I'm a little fuzzy on this, and this Mm -hmm. is something I've been talking to a girlfriend about lately. It depends on how long you've been married, from what I understand. Uh, If the woman worked or was a housewife, and theoretically if a woman separates from a man and she is entitled to child support... She gets one-fifth of his income.
0: So are there a lot of women who have had marriages fall apart that are left impoverished and with children?
1: Yes and no. You know, we have a lot more family support still.
0: You have the strong family support. Yeah, and that makes so, a yeah. very big difference. That's huge. Uh, what about medical insurance? Is that straightforward for your family?
1: Very straightforward. And like the it? system works really well. Where I live, depends on what region you live in Italy. This is national health care? This is national health care, but uh, national health care is managed on a regional level. I used the system to have a hip replacement years ago, honestly, and spent three weeks in the hospital. Because in Italy? You do physical hip therapy afterwards in the hospital. So by had, national healthcare. By national healthcare. And I had to pay, we, we call it a ticket. You have to pay, mm-hmm. when you go and you get your x rays, uh, I think I had to pay 34 euro. Okay, 50 and, bucks? Yeah. And I chose to lubricate the system by choosing my own doctor. So I paid for a private visit to my doctor. I went to a surgeon that was considered one of the best in the country. Mm-hmm. That was a 200 year visit.
0: So you paid extra, lubricate the system, that means uh-huh. pay extra to get a little extra variety uh-huh. or choice, and you end up paying $300 more for the choice of a doctor. You got the best in the country. Exactly. And you got your hip.
1: Exactly. What
0: do you pay every year for national health care in, in Italy?
1: It comes out of my husband's taxes. So
0: it's just a family of four.
1: 45 48% that's taken out of his. All right.
0: I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking with Lisa Anderson, who spent, uh, well, last 14 years in Italy, uh, happily married, two beautiful boys, a nine-year-old Filippo, three-and-a-half-year-old Manuele. Lisa, you're traveling on the United States. I would imagine as you prepare to fly back to Italy, you'll bring a little touch of your home country home for your kids. Uh, what do they look forward to when Mom comes home?
1: I bring jawbreakers, peanut butter, beef jerky, and maple syrup. And smoked salmon.
0: Filippo and Manuele and your husband, Mauro, will probably all jump for joy. Yes. Mommy's home. Jawbreakers. Beef jerky. Smoked salmon.
1: My husband probably sits there and cringes. Yeah. And the children love it.
0: I can just see that in Italian. going, Oh, great. Rolling their eyes. (laughs) Jawbreakers. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Lisa, I hope that you have a smooth return home and uh, give my best to your family.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me, Rick. Ciao, ciao.
3: Scooby, scooby-doo, scooby
4: doo, scooby, scooby ma non ti fermi mai. Scooby, scooby scooby, scooby,
0: While they're celebrating 150 years of united Italy this year, the Piedmont region in northern Italy, where Lisa Anderson lives, is noticeably different from the region we're visiting next, way down in the south, the island of Sicily. But first, Have you ever thought of making your own travel souvenir in the form of a haiku poem? Write down an impression or surprise you experienced in your travels and share them with us in the 575-syllable format. There's a link to send us your original haiku on the radio page at ricksteves.com. Here's what some of our listeners are writing.
3: Bill Lackey from Aiken, South Carolina, writes about his visit to a village in Italy's Cinque Terre. Italian freedom. I burst into Vernazza, never blinking once. Smelling everything, tasting what I can afford, I walk happily. Marty Sherman of Cincinnati notes the different scenery from her home in Ohio on her latest trip. Riding on a bus, see the dusky mountains glow, far away from home. While Amy McCormick in Anchorage Sends us this note from her return flight. The plane has landed. Coming home is bittersweet. Loved ones here and there.
5: canzone
2: più bella sei tu, you, tu la vita e tell la vita non I lascio mai più, the no.
0: My feeling is, if you like Italy, you'll love Sicily. But you need to tackle Sicily thoughtfully and with a little bit of uh, savvy. So we're joined today by two experts on traveling in Sicily, Alfio Di who is from Sicily, and Amanda Scotesi, who's an uh, Italian-American who spent uh, a lifetime traveling through Italy and a lot of time down in Sicily. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Grazie. Prego. Now, Alfio, how is Sicily, your homeland, different from Italy?
3: Sicily, first of all, has this um, island kind of identity. Sicilian people tend to be so used to have uh, foreigners because they have been always invaded by uh, foreign powers. So who has invaded Sicily over the last 2,000 years? Uh, let's say, who hasn't. <laughs> who hasn't? <laughs> yeah. The only one didn't go were the Irish. but by the way, the first great domination we had in the island were the Greeks. The Greeks. Okay. And they
0: left uh, a layer of architectural influence on Sicily. Yes. Wonderful Um, Greek ruins. Amanda, what are your favorite Greek ruins in Sicily?
2: Oh, Sagesta is pretty incredible. It's uh, among these rolling hills, and you get this beautiful view of both a temple and uh, an amphitheater.
0: And that's outside of Palermo, right? You got it. Yeah, one hour south. One hour south. Uh, Okay, so you have. Beautiful temples, ancient Greek temples in Sicily.
2: And very well preserved, too.
0: In fact, you could make a case you can find better Greek ruins in Sicily than in most of Greece. I mean, Sicily was a Greek colony.
3: Yes. Uh, in the 8th century B.C., the Greeks moved west, and Sicily was the first That's Greek the colony. First up. There you go. Yeah. Actually, the Greeks were already doing some trading with the Sicilians at that time. What are some other invaders that left their mark culturally and architecturally? Well,
2: you've got the Romans. They came in, they conquered the Greeks. They clear-cut Sicily to take the wood and build boats and made Sicily into their breadbasket of the empire.
0: And you've got a great Roman villa to check out.
2: Oh, yeah. The Villa Casale, best in situ Roman mosaics. Uh, Incredible mosaics there. uh, Mosaics that were in the ground, you know, they're colored stone, and uh, you get to actually walk above them, get a real wonderful view of them because they're so well-preserved because they were covered in a mudslide.
0: And in the Middle Ages, who came to Sicily and left an impact? The Normans. The Normans. The Normans. from, From France. The Vikings who were assimilated into France in the west of France and then came down into... They invaded England in 1066.
3: Yeah. Actually, William the Conqueror was a cousin of one of the two guys that invaded the south of Italy. Oh, really? So it was a two-pronged expansion there from Normandy, England,
0: and into the Mediterranean. Yeah. And what influence did they leave in Sicily?
3: They they left a great uh, heritage, but just before them, the Arabs... Actually, because the Arabs, they were in the south, that that is the reason why the popes and the Christian Normans to get rid of the uh, Muslims. Oh, so the the Muslims
0: came and then the popes told the Normans, go have your way with this. They
3: were so successful conquerors that, you know, the pop must give them some land. But when I'm in the
0: markets in, in cities like Palermo, I can almost feel a whiff of Arabia there. There's a melody in the markets, isn't it? There's
2: oh, yeah. I mean, people are yelling about their wares. Uh, they'll just repeat themselves over and over again. All day long, their, these guys are about saying about their fish or their snails. If it just rained the day before,
3: yeah, in, 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 in Catania, we call the snails vacaredi. Okay. So if I'm going to convince, uh, this nice lady here to buy my snails, I would say, Signora, signora, a vacare di sono friski friski. And what were you saying exactly? Uh, come in, uh, look at the snails. they are so fresh. I just got from the seawater. And all day long, he's saying
0: that. Yes. Okay. Now, now let's let's pretend you're in Palermo and you're selling olives, and I walk down the street.
3: What would you tell me? Vinisica, a catarsi alivi, friski friski.
2: <laughs> and, uh,
0: and then I could try one. I can say, uh, how do you say, can I try a little sample? Assaggia. <laughs> Assaggia. And then you'd let
3: me try an olive? Si, pigiassi, asaggiassi, mangiassi. Yeah, and quanto costa? Pilei ci faccio un oh, prezzo me, special. special price yes. for me? <laughs> sì, sì, Thank sì. you. And what would my special price be? 5 uh, dollari per chilo. You are
2: special price.
4: There. And, uh,
0: uh, you are so gentile. <laughs> prego, prego. <laughs> Okay, so the markets are a lot of fun and you get that whiff of Arabia and all that wonderful, like a Medina or a souk sort of feeling in the markets. So the point is, this is just a many-layered wonderland. I mean, if you look at the map, of course, Sicily is like the football if Italy is the boot, and it's right in the middle of the Mediterranean
3: and it's between Europe
0: and Arabia
3: Yes, and, and the Arab world. And actually, that specific location of Sicily... Is the reason why we have we had all of these dominations because it is so close to Tunisia and so close to mainland Italy, and Italy is a natural bridge up to Europe. And this is so—it's the logical crossroads. Yes, and it's the largest island in the Mediterranean. So to control Sicily was so important, and also to control the west and the eastern part of Sicily. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about Sicily with two
0: experts on Sicily. Amanda Scotesi is an Italian-American who's uh, spent a lot of time traveling around Sicily and Alfio Di Maro is actually from Sicily. Where do you live in Sicily?
3: I do live in Catania, which is the second largest city of Catania. Sicily on
0: the east coast. I'll
3: never forget once I was on
0: top of the volcano having an incredible time on Etna and then I realized, oh, my my airplane's flying out of Catania very shortly and I just went right down the mountain and right into Catania, got on the airplane and an hour later I was in Rome and I thought, wow, it's just in a matter of uh, Minutes, you can go from the top of a live volcano down to a great city with a modern airport, and bam, you're back in Rome. Yes, yes. Catania.
3: And, and, you know, Catania actually has this great location that is nearby the tallest active volcano in Europe, but is on the water at the same time. So sometimes if you want to do very interesting activity, you can go uh, hiking in the morning let's say, late spring, and then in the afternoon you can spend time at the beach in Catania, which is something amazing. That's an amazing thing.
0: There's more with Alfio and Amanda about the passions and flavors of Sicily in just a moment. Plus, your calls to 877-333-7425. It's travel with Rick Steves.
3: Viaggiamo con Rick Steves. And this is the Italian for Let's Travel with Rick Steves.
0: We've got lots to talk about Sicily. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. You can email us at radio at ricksteves.com. Tony's on the line in Houston, Texas. Tony, thanks for your call.
5: Sure, Rick. How are you doing?
0: Great. We've got some experience in Sicily that you'd like to share, please.
5: Oh, I do. I do. I spend roughly half the year there in Sicily and half the year back in Texas. My wife is Sicilian. We got married uh, in Syracuse, where her family is and was living, and uh, it was quite the adventure. Uh, we still go back often and, and have a, a little place north of Tormina and a little town called Gaji. Mm-hmm. It's a nice location. So, and just,
0: now, this is interesting. We've got a Texan-Sicilian wedding in Syracuse. Yes. Yeah. That sounds fun.
5: It was quite the adventure and the talk of the town. Uh,
0: what did you inject from Texas into the traditional uh, Sicilian? Well,
5: modern? you know, we, well, first of all, just a, a kind of Americanized in general, we had bridesmaids and groomsmen, which they don't normally have there. You usually just have a witness. Uh, on each side that comes up and signs the paperwork and whatnot. And so having a large wedding party standing up front just in itself was (laughs) quite odd for them. Also, I was flying on active duty in the Air Force at the time living in Germany, and I brought a bunch of friends down from there and was in uniform, so we had the swords and sabers walking out that they got to see as well. And then it was more at the actual reception where there was American music, and Texas songs played and had a groom's cake, which they don't normally have, which a big Texas longhorn from my alma mater of the University of Texas. And <laughs> the best part of that was for those that uh, follow Texas, they know that there's a sign we do, the hook 'em horn sign, where you put your pinky and pointer finger up and hold your two middle fingers down, right. making the sign of the bull, which is the University of Texas longhorn. Well, in Italy and Sicily in general, the Cornuto's got a much, much different meaning. Oh, completely yes. different meaning, you know, and so that's a huge cultural difference. So wait a minute, like I want to
0: I, I know what the meaning of this thing... Althea, nope. what does this mean? I'm doing this yeah. to you right now, this Texas Longhorn thing.
3: Yeah, yeah this you don't do that in Sicily. <laughs> do that. I'm you doing this do to you right now. Yeah. <laughs> what, what What do you think when I sit here this day, I'm doing this to you? Can, can, I, can I say it? Yes. Uh, that uh, right now, my partner at home yeah. is having fun with somebody else. Oh, is that right? Yeah, it's exactly. very serious. That's quite an resilient. insult. Yes. It's the worst insult you can... That's, to an so, in. Oh, I hope that's not correct. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that's how you insult somebody, is you, yeah. is you make the Texas Longhorns, and it's saying your partner is being unfaithful. Yes, right now. Mm-hmm. Now, d- you wouldn't want to do that. Okay, so uh, you have to just dispense with your Texas Longhorn uh, uh, spirit there, Tony, when you're down having a wedding in no, it No, it,
5: it was great. We Actually, my sister-in-law translated for us because it's tradition to sing and do that at a wedding. So I had all oh. these people over. People must have been, with actually loved it. Once my, my sister-in-law explained it, we all got together, and my wife even joked she never thought she'd be doing that at the wedding, but we have video of all of us doing the, the hook and sign and singing the Eisenhower. I was going to ask you if While people all were Italians were laughing hysterically were they horrified uh,
0: or were they howling and i guess they were uh, no they a,
5: they laughed they actually got it i think my my sister-in-law did a good job of translating the that's meaning that's good and,
0: you can get yourself into trouble though i was i was working in iran and i i was with a wonderful man who was our bus driver and i was always excited about what we were filming and I, every time i came back to the bus i gave him the thumbs up sign because I couldn't speak uh, Farsi with him. And I kept giving him the thumbs up sign. And then later on, he told me, uh, you know, uh, in my country, that's the same as giving me the finger, finger. you know, and so no more thumbs up in Iran and (laughs) and no more Texas longhorns in In Sicily. Sicily. Hey, Tony, when you had the reception, I know you had a lot of uh, Texan culture there. What do you remember from the Sicilian food?
5: Oh, well, you know, Sicilians take food very serious. And weddings in the south of Italy in general are just a huge affair. And My family is actually from the Naples area going back to my grandparents, so I was somewhat familiar with it just in in passing. But, you know, my wife and I planning this for months. The best part was you get to go around to the different villas where you're going to have your reception, and you just get food. You know, you sample their food, and and that was my favorite part was I just got to go around all these villas and get free food. Amanda,
0: if you go to a a big to-do in Sicily, what kind of food would you expect to enjoy?
2: Ooh, lots of seafood. Some great mussels. Uh, Not so much
0: pasta down there. Pasta is more Oh, more you have it?
2: pasta, but often it will involve either seafood or vegetables. They, they cook a lot with vegetables.
0: And Alfio, what
3: would you look forward to if you had a relative having a wedding in Sicily? Uh, usually fish is more expensive, so that's why you will always find that the whole menu in a wedding is fish. fish from because from they're East. impressing their guests yes, with the exactly. very best of the yeah. food. And what, what about the sweets and the desserts? Um we have, because of the Arabs, we have an endless number of sweets in the island. The Arabs are the domination that brought the sugar cane Ah. in Sicily. It was Um, the
2: first place in Europe to have sugar in Sicily.
3: And they brought also modern, for that time, system of irrigation. So that's why we end up with all of these sweets, uh, cannoli, cassata. Um,
2: well, and then you also have all the wonderful sheep making the milk for the ricotta Because they make let uh, put
0: the ricotta in the cannoli right? Yeah, you yes. put the ricotta
2: in the cannoli or the cassata cake and It's very fresh
0: Tony, how long have you been married now to your Sicilian bride? Almost
2: four
5: years now, three and a half years Four years,
0: years. What are the, If somebody goes down to Sicily and, and falls in love with a Sicilian Can you give us a few lessons from your experience? What do we have to watch out for?
5: Well, they're always going to be tied back to the island. And I can't be a hypocrite because I'm always tied back to Texas, it seems. But, you know, you can never escape the island. We always take little bits and pieces with us. And, you know, the cooking and the, the desire to go back. And, you know, the island is always always on their mind, always in their heart. This definitely, a,
0: a love of family, too, isn't it, that's particularly oh, yeah. strong. That's a beautiful thing in Sicily. All right, Tony. Well, thanks and best wishes. Thank you. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about Sicily. We're joined by two experts on Sicily, Amanda and Alfio. You know, so many of our perceptions of Italy are from Italian immigrants, Italian-Americans. Uh, your family is Italian-American. Mm-hmm. Alfio, you've got probably more people leaving Sicily per capita than any part of Italy to go to the United States. How does this immigrant American-Italian community shape our impressions of Italy in ways that might not be correct?
2: Well, of course... There's the mafia and these ideas that, you know, everybody looks like they're from the Sopranos and and or even when we're traveling in Sicily, sometimes people say, oh, look, those guys look just like, you know, and it's just, just like Sicilian the guys wearing suits. That's all they're doing, you know? Well, that's um, interesting.
0: So a Sicilian guy wearing a suit, to us, we think mafia. When you see a guy, a Sicilian wearing a suit, what do you think, Alfio?
3: Uh, it depends on the suit. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Um... I've seen sometimes movies or television, uh, series like The Sopranos. The, the, the suit that they wear, they, I know, nobody in Sicily will wear that. <laughs> really? Yeah. What? The colors and, and they are also too, can I say too loose? Too large? Uh, too, too large? Ah, so tighter suit. Yeah, exactly. Much tighter. They match the colors. The tie would be, of a specific design, and the collar and the shirt would be a specific design, and the shoes, the belt.
0: They're very style-conscious,
3: then. Yes.
0: Now, when we think about the impression Americans have from Italian-Americans, I believe it is the poor part of a country that emigrates the most, and the result of that is, in the new land, the impression of the old country is of actually the region from where they came. And most Americans who are of Italian descent came from southern Italy or Sicily. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. Above 70% of the uh, Italians that left between 1880 and 1920 were from uh, Sicily. 70%? Yeah. And that was the big years when people were leaving Italy and yes, to Yes, because it was right after the unification of Italy. In the south, things got worse, and then people that didn't want to settle for nothing They actually, they left the island, and that's why it was one of the largest uh, movement of people in humankind. Well,
2: and then what you end up getting is people think, oh, well, yeah, my, my grandparents came from this really poor town. There's nothing there, and they don't realize, well, in the last few years, tourism has developed a lot. You know, you get these poor towns that actually are... Incredible to visit because of either beaches or because they've kind of been trapped in time or medieval village hill towns.
0: Which are enjoying a new prosperity. Exactly. Clay is on the line in Muckleteel, Washington. Clay, thanks for your call.
4: Hi, Rick. Thanks for the uh, inspiration for taking off. And we, um, My wife and I went to Sicily for two weeks right around Christmas a couple of years ago. It was fantastic. Well, you I had don't...
0: Christmas in Sicily. That sounds like an exciting place to be for Christmas. Tell us what that was like.
4: It was wonderful. Oh, and I just want to say hi, Amanda. Hi, Alfio. Hi. I love your home country. Uh, anyway, yeah, we um, flew to southern Italy first and then took the ferry across from Naples to Sicily and spent 10 days kind of traveling clockwise around the island. I was so struck by just how everything gets decked out for the holidays. And we ended up spending Christmas Eve and Christmas Day in Terramina and. They had a bonfire on Christmas Eve, and it just seemed like the whole town turned out and stood around the bonfire, and it was clearly a time to get connected with family and friends and and just spend some time together before everybody went to Mass. And then after Mass, the streets came alive. Like, I I mean, it was was 1 o'clock in the morning, and you would have sworn it was, you know, midday, and you were on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. I mean, it was just amazing how many people were out. It it was wonderful. After
0: Mass, after midnight on Christmas Eve. Yeah, Wow. And you're talking about Taromino, which is the most sort of elegant and ritzy resort town on the island. I I would think it would be even crazier in other parts. Elfio, tell a little bit about your
3: memories of Christmas, special memories of Christmas in Sicily. Um, Christmas in Sicily is, is a time where all of the family gets together. Now, this is interesting because we are always together during the year, so <laughs> we actually don't have an excuse to be together in Christmas, but, of course, all of the extended family gets together. You can have, uh, I don't know, 30 people sitting at the table for uh, dinner. And then Christmas Eve mass, the midnight mass. Yes. And, and then, then and then is it typical go- to go outside? Yes. It is typical to go to mass. And then once you are already outside after mass and then you do the passeggiata, in the the pasajata after midnight. Street. I never yeah. thought about that, especially in little towns. That makes a lot. Of sense.
0: Clay, imagine what a shame it would be to be sitting in your hotel and missing out on that.
4: Oh, I know, and and that was that was just it. I mean, it was it was wonderful to just be out in that, and you know, you mentioned that Termina is sort of uh, you know shishi and unapproachable, but I, I think being there in the down season over the holidays where you know it wasn't a lot of kind of summer tourists it was so approachable and and people were just so welcoming and i felt like taramina really showed its true self and and not this sort of veneer of high class and the most wonderful part though was just on christmas day we didn't really know what to expect there weren't a lot of things open necessarily but the amphitheater there mm. in Terramina was open. And, and I think, as you know, it overlooks Mount Etna. And we had the most wonderful day hanging out in the amphitheater for the entire day, you know, kind of catching up on our journal writing and watching the clouds sort of roll in over Mount Etna. And, uh, and, and Clay,
0: wonderful. we have to remind people who haven't been there, uh, Terramina is a resort on basically on top of a on top of a cliff with a bunch of beaches down below it. Right, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. and then you've got this 2,500-year-old Greek temple uh, with the great uh, semicircular stone seating and so on, situated on the top of this cliff yes. with this incredible view of the volcano and uh, the coastline, and you, you sit there on 2,000-year-old stone bleachers marveling at all the history and all the natural wonder and all the vibrant culture today that makes Sicily such a wonderful place to visit.
4: It was absolutely amazing. And those are just two small highlights of what was, you know, really 10 wonderful days. I think it was the perfect time of year to go to Sicily. Clay, and
0: you were there in the dead of winter. What was the weather like?
4: It was nice. I mean, I'm from the Pacific Northwest, so not much gets us down around here. But the the weather was, for the most part, clear and cold. There was one day that we got rained out, we had planned to go to Piazza Amarina and the and the mm-hmm. Villa Casale there. And for the most part, you know, we just wore our jackets. And, you know, we weren't there to go to the beaches. We were there yeah. to sort of see a different side. So very, it, was, it was really perfect.
0: Very quick question. Did you stay in any of the uh, farmhouse B&Bs and Agriturismo?
4: No, we, we stayed in Cefalu for a couple of days in a small B&B there. Wonderful. You know, yeah. the it's Cefalu is really my great. favorite
0: Coastal town in Sicily. I mean, Palermo and Syracuse are huge, and Catania, but Tefalo is charming and colorful, and you just feel like you're part of the uh, part of the gang there.
4: No, it was it was really great, and and you know, again, that time of year there were a lot of processions, and so every night it seemed like there was sort of a different band that had just kind of funky musicians, and they all wore different kind of crazy hats. I mean, it was a, really a lot of fun. to to see the different processions come through.
0: Did you feel safe when you were in Sicily?
4: Oh, yeah, without a question. It's a super safe place. Did you gain weight? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, of course. Oh, my gosh. You know, that you can't turn a corner without seeing a fried this or that or, <laughs> um, or, or eating a lot of pistachios and ice cream. And everything. All right. So it was wonderful. Hey, Clay,
0: well, thanks for sharing, and uh, happy travels.
4: Rick, again, thank you so much for all you do.
0: You bet. When I think Italy I think great food and when I think Sicily I think food with passion. There's so much food. You go to the markets and you just you just want to eat everything. Amanda, what's a treat we should be sure to know about when we're in Sicily?
2: A really lovely treat are Fiki dindia. These are prickly pears. These are the fruits that grow on the cacti and they grow wild all over uh southern Italy. And you know they're native though to the Americas. So that's why they're called, I mean, literally, Fikidindia means fig of India, which ah. is considered to be the New World, right?
0: So the cactus fruit were brought back by New World explorers. Yeah, like the tomato. And they thrived in Sicily. They
2: thrived there with all the sun and the coastal airs and everything. And they everything. peel
0: these things back and you get a yeah, delicious you don't, you fruit. you got to
2: make sure not to pick them with your own hands. And yeah. you got to have someone, you've got to have special gloves and you peel them and they're uh, almost like a watermelon they're really watery and refreshing and they range in color from like an orange to a, a burgundy magenta color they're beautiful
0: I found children sell them out of buckets at tourist sites just to tourists to like we would have a lemonade stand yeah or something exactly
2: like and they'll peel it for you and cut it up
3: always let a local peel your figgy d'india that's one thing I learned Yeah, the secret about the figgy d'india is that you want to eat chilled chilled right out of the fridge oh, yeah. okay yeah it is much better and it's <laughs> refreshing Don't be scared about the thousands of seeds you're going to uh, find inside. Just eat them all, because that is what we do. (laughs) Eat the seeds in your cactus fruit, your figa the India. And Alfio,
0: give me another taste treat from Sicily, your homeland.
3: Uh, Well, I will tell you this. When I was living in the U.S., because I was um, doing some research here at the university, I was missing the Sicilian cannoli. I mean, if I would have found... Sicilian cannoli in U.S. I would have stayed here forever, I think. But because I didn't find it, and then I had to go back to Sicily <laughs> and live there. I, I,
0: it's so just... what is it about a, a hometown cannoli in Sicily uh, that you can't best... find here? What's
3: so good about it? What is good about it? I really like ricotta, sheep ricotta cheese. And the best ricotta you can find in Italy comes from the south, especially from Sicily especially the areas around Agrigento and Palermo. So a cannoli is a a pastry circle, a tube. Yeah, it's a tube, crispy tube. It is filled with uh, uh, sweet ricotta cheese and uh, sometimes little chocolate chips inside. And then on both ends, you have uh, pistachio and then uh, on top of everything, mm, powdered sugar. Ooh. Now, the secret... And this is, uh, at the same time, a good thing and a bad thing about the canola is that it doesn't have shelf life.
0: It doesn't have a shelf life. Yeah,
3: canola must be filled a couple of minutes before you eat it. That is the the top of the art of the canola, of course. Yeah, you
2: know if you're walking down the street and you see the cannoli pre-filled, you you keep walking, or you ask them if they can do one. The the the
3: real pasticceria is that you go there, you order your cannoli, And they will fill up at the very last minute. Nice. Why? Because the moisture in the ricotta will, will make all of the,
2: um, make the pastry, the pastry soggy. soggy,
3: And Uh. you don't want that. Absolutely. That is the opposite of a good canola. Amanda Scottesi, Alfio Moro, mille grazie. Prego. 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 Ciao.
0: Ciao. Ciao, ciao.
5: Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim Tatton with Sarah McCormick at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. Thanks to haiku reader Keith Stickelmeyer for helping with today's show.
0: You'll find many interviews from past editions of the show arranged by the countries we discuss. They're
5: available to download to your portable player or smartphone. Look for the Rick Steves Audio Europe links on our website at ricksteves.com or as an app at iTunes.
0: And join us again next week for more travel with Rick Steves.
3: Rick Steves teaches smart travel to Italy and beyond. At ricksteves.com, you'll find an archive of interviews from his radio show, free audio tours of Italy's top sites, a monthly travel newsletter, and a world of information to help you turn your travel dreams into smooth and affordable reality. To gear up for your next Italian adventure, begin your trip at ricksteves.com.